Knox Country Podcast Edition. I've always been around great songwriters and artists my whole life. I'm Michael Knox. Welcome to my world. Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Jason Aldean, and you are listening to my boy Michael Knox on Knox Country Podcast. Welcome to the Knox Country Syndicated Radio Show Podcast. Welcome to the show. I'm Michael Knox. I got Miss Shalacy Griffin in the house. Hey, everyone. Today we're doing something a little different. We have an old friend of mine, one of the biggest, most powerful guys I know in the music business, Ben Vaughn, who is president and CEO of Warner Chapel Nashville. How you doing, Ben? I'm good. Did you just call me old? <laughs> I called you old friend. Okay. I didn't call you old particular. You know, you forgot my favorite uh, part of my story that. Um, I was Michael Knox's intern. Oh, no, no, no. We didn't forget that. That's coming up <laughs> I wanted to make sure we got that in there because oh, that would be very important. All right. I was going to bring it up as a confidence thing for me saying, man, look who I can pick. I can pick these powerhouse guys from these companies now. <laughs> but Ben, welcome to the show, dude. Thanks for having me. I want to start out. A lot of people want to know how can they get from where they are in school and what they're doing to to where you are in such a short time. And I know there's not a formula, but at least they can learn from kind of your passion and how you went about your trip. So me knowing you for a long time, I know you started out in college. You were doing some DJ things and stuff like that. What were you doing in high school in music? Well, actually, when I was in high school was when I was a DJ. Awesome. So we started out in radio and this is um eerily familiar in a very cool way just doing this with you guys today so um, it's taking me back to those weekend moments at wmsk back in kentucky <laughs> i think to answer your question what can you do um when you're starting the business you know you do what you're asked uh, and you do it with uh, full effort yeah because uh, everyone's watching um when you know michael knox says i need a pizza guy for my events you do that with full effort and gusto you bring it and maybe it makes an impression but but i relate to that i mean because i started out in college too and i was doing recording people in my dorm and doing things like that and just kind of being being that guy you know where that just kind of gave people what they were looking for and then worked your way up but i mean but your path is you know turned into um you were coming out of is that belmont college is belmont, that correct? Right. yeah mm-hmm. and but you had a lot of music people in your class with you that yeah. you were kind of with that have all grown up kind of in the business sure. did you think that that kind of helped your movement or confidence yeah you know just to speak a minute about belmont um because that is a, a a really great nashville university that has a music business program that a lot of artists and you know executives and songwriters have come out of um, i remember first class week one the professor said look around you and what will happen is some of your classmates you will work with for the rest of your career. It's completely true. You know, names like Ashley Gorley, uh, went to college with Rusty Gaston, Jeremy Stover, um, Brad Paisley, Kelly Lovelace. So, yeah, that was a very true statement. So that's kind of your class. Yeah. You know, that's the class of Ben, you know, right there. So that's cool. And, you know, so you're you're getting out of school. How many internships did you do before you landed at Warner Chapel? Well, that, actually, that was my first. Okay. And then you were at Warner mm-hmm. Chapel for a while. You were interning there, and you were doing great because I remember in the tape room, man, you were the guy that I could count on. You were the guy who, who we went to and used, you know, because you were always hungry, always wanting to do the project, you know. Yeah. But that got the eye 
of a Scott Hendricks, mm-hmm. of a Trey Bruce, you know, and, and right. another outside company from us. So tell us kind of that process right. a little bit. Well, first let's let's go back to the tape room for a minute, and <laughs> and you see how she's Lacey, I'm turning it back how on was, him. How was that working with Michael Knox back? What was this the nineties? Yeah, this would have been this would have been ninety four to ninety six. Yeah, yeah ninety four to ninety six. Okay, how was a young, hungry? Michael back in <laughs> in the day. Yeah, I, this is where this is where we want. I'm sure the listeners want to know about Michael, right? No. So well, I would love to give you this perspective. No, they don't. Just a little. No, they dish. would because this is great. So Michael, um, at that moment, uh, from a music publishing perspective, I mean, he was the man. Still is, by the way. Oh gosh! But this is not I going mean, the way I thought it would. <laughs> no, I've got to give him, I got to give him props, man. And um, he, uh, I remember vividly uh, one artist that he was absolutely crushing it with was George Strait. Like mm-hmm. just crushing it, and I would get the the call, Ben. You've got to take this cassette. Yes. <laughs> Notice I said cassette. Um, over to MCA, and and I st- I still remember bringing those tapes for Michael. You know, with uh, carrying your love with me. Yeah. Carried away. You know those kind of moments. Um, but yeah, it was a lot of fun. I mean, you know, was, uh, Michael had, um, you know, he had the disco ball in his office, which you know. <laughs> As a as a young twenty year old, right? I'm like, this is I love this business. Look at yeah. this dude. So sexy. Um, so great. Uh I got to attend some of my first number one parties with Michael. Met George Strait. Yeah. Because of Michael. So just to put a little bit behind the curtain there in the in the mid nineties. Is it he had a mullet, correct? I do not want to comment on that. <laughs> There's photo evidence. I look, I look cool. I look cool. <laughs> I heard he. Oh, is this pre fanny pack or post fanny pack? Oh, this is fanny pack. Okay. Mm-hmm. This is. There's no pre or post. This was fanny pack days. <laughs> if it didn't fit in the fanny pack, I probably made Ben run it down the street too. Yeah, that's true. But I'm um, so okay. So you're there. How long were you at that internship? At Chapel, I was there. Um, technically, if you want to be technical, it yeah. was an internship turning a part time job. Yeah. Um, uh, and I was there for. Almost two years. Yep. Yeah, well, about two years. And then Scott Hendricks and Trey Bruce started watching what you were doing, and they offered mm-hmm. you a gig to come over yeah. and work for one of our co-ventures. Yeah, there was a smaller partner company with, with Warner Chapel, and uh, long story short, I got the opportunity to go there to work part-time as well. Still in school. Yeah. I was a junior in college, and um, uh, actually, I got the chance to run the company when I was 21. Yeah. Oh, so, I remember that. Yeah, so it was like three, three writers uh, at the time, and... Um, I wasn't out of school yet, so I f- it took me about six years to finish school. But and actually, Michael, I give him big credit for that because when uh, that company was thinking about, are they really going to let the you know the part time intern run the run the developing company? <laughs> right, Michael was one of the people that said, "No, I think he can do it." Uh, the business side is very natural to you. You're you're a sharp guy, man. You're a great politician, and you know in this business which we need. How did you enjoy the song plugging? How did you enjoy that part of it? Because that's that's a different beast. Yeah. You got to kind of get your oh. head around. I mean, one of my favorite things ever in the business, even to this day, is to is to see something that really that a writer has basically pulled out of air, right? Yeah. An idea, a concept, whatever, and they turn that into music, and they turn it into you know usually a demo in that early stages, and just to see that go all the way through to you know being out on the radio. And then li- still my favorite thing is to listen to something that I was involved with um, in my truck yeah. on the radio. Like, that is the Even best. Even to this day, oh, still. Y- it's, it's the best feeling right there. So um, 
the publishing process and the pitching process is, is hugely important there. So, yeah, I, I really love every aspect of, of what we get to do um, creatively behind the scenes to yeah. connect, you know, connect songs, connect artists. It's truly the best. Okay, well, you're over there. You're running this publishing company. You're 21 years old. You know, you're killing it. What was the first thing you got your hands on where you got something cut or something was cut that you were involved in and you go, man, I – I think I, I think I'm in the right place. I think right. this is what I'm supposed to be doing. Or you know, what was that song? I don't know if I remember the first. I remember the artist though. Like yeah. there was, we had really good success with Randy Travis and Jody Messina and Diamond Rio. Um, I, those were happy days. I mean, yeah. when I when I think back at those those times, like those early days, um, they were happy days because we had a small company and. We had not a lot of songwriters, but we had a lot of success on the charts. It's kind of like it's fun to to not have rules yet. Yeah, and we were co-venture with um, with Chapel, we were a um, partner company, and so Michael was there, and, and I still got to work with those guys, yeah. you know, closely on a lot of things, and it was comfortable and for that respect as well. So, did you ever feel like incredible pressure being? So young and sort of being handed the reins and like oh yeah yeah how did you deal with that uh well part of me probably just didn't know, know any better you know <laughs> in terms of just being like just being kind of fearless of like let's try stuff and let's see what happens let's get out there I mean I wasn't you know and I also had good I had good mentors around me as well I mean Michael being being one of them and um to see how things were done you know so um it was never a problem to figure out how to make a cold call or was never a problem to um, ask a lot of questions of the right people, you know, um, in those early days. Because I, I realized I really didn't know. So the way I was going to find out was to, was to watch and to, to really ask kind of the right questions and then just to do and, yeah. and try things. And just so you know, man, at Warner Chapel, man, we had a lot of interns. And and that's where I wanted people who are listening to the show to understand what we're talking about. We had a lot of interns, but you're the one that got the job offer. Yeah. And and it's and it's all because of hard work. It's all because of being educated about where you are and what you're working and knowing the right time to make a move. Yeah. And having Scott Hendricks, Trey Bruce, Marv Green, I can't remember who else was at the company at that time, but those were big people in the business mm-hmm. at the time. They were growing. Marv was taking off. Trey had already taken off. Yeah. He was trying to produce. And then Scott was Scott yeah. Hendricks at the time. I mean, the guy was on 10 million records yeah. a year as then a we, producer. And then we worked with like a Dave Loggins yeah. and a John Bettis, yep. which for me, again, remember I'm in my early 20s. And and if you don't know those names, um, those are uh, two absolute legendary songwriters, Hall of Fame writers um, that I got the chance to work with very young in my career. And I, I mean, I learned, learned a ton yeah. from the writers as well. But I think that's a lot of the difference in your approach is that you were learning. A lot of kids today get on the sled and they enjoy the ride, but they don't learn. Yeah. They, they they don't soak it in. Well, I'll go ahead and tell you, man, I, I, don't, I don't think... I don't think I have anything figured out. I mean, I think I think we're all learning every day. I think yeah. the minute, I think the minute you as a as a professional in the business or whatever, you you stop learning or you think you know it all. That's when it's that's when it can be problematic. You know, yeah. Especially now, I mean, there's just the business is changing weekly. What it feels mm-hmm. like, so yeah. yeah, yeah. So how long were you there at that place? Big Tractor was about um, about six years. So name a couple of huge songs that you were going to number one parties in. Oh, like uh, How Your Love Makes Me Feel, Diamond Rio, um, Spirit of a Boy, Wisdom of a Man, Randy Travis, um, True, George Strait. Remember that? We had yeah. fun. We have fun and with that. Amazed. Amazed. Yeah. That Actually, Amazed is a great one because um, that was the first time 
that I got to be on television. Yep. Right. So with the, when it won uh, the ACM Song of the Year, you were there. Yep. Um, we had the the large. I think the largest crew ever <laughs> coming up on stage <laughs> at a country music award show for that song and i'm pretty sure because of the large amount of people that's one of the reasons that uh, i think publishers yeah. and the whole crews are discouraged from doing that <laughs> to they this day they were going to announce the winner and like tim would get up and scott would get up but yeah. all of us went up you know it was great <laughs> and it was nice it was like an it was like an ascap bmi award yeah. and we were on national and there's television. a and you, you can find that moment on youtube too by the way yeah yeah yeah, yeah. so it's uh yeah it's fun <laughs> This is Ben Vaughn, and you're listening to Knox Country Podcast. Now, from that place, you went to EMI at that time? Correct. Is that correct? And um, That's right. Because Gary Overton mm-hmm. was at Warner Chapel for a small time, and then he he left, and then um, I kind of took his post, and then we were doing those right. things, and then you were at Big yeah. Tractor, and now Gary O is looking you back up. That's right. To kind of come to, to EMI. Yeah. So where, when you came into there, what, what was your position coming in there? Well, that's interesting. You know, before I answer that question, just the the, the effect in the music business of, of working with similar people. And I kind of actually had forgotten that you came to Warner Chapel in part because of Gary O. Yeah. Right. He hired so, me. That's right. So I love that's a great full circle nature yeah. of the business we all have. Um, I started EMI. I was uh, vice president of A and R, so I basically ran the creative department. Because Gary called me when he was interviewing, and I remember all that. I, I remember all that as well. What what year was that? Is that like oh two maybe? Yeah, roughly. Yeah, something like roughly, that. Yeah. So you go into EMI. So bigger company, mm-hmm. bigger rules, yep. bigger budgets, bigger mm-hmm. things, and that's when you started really turning into. I, I feel that's when you started turning into a publisher. Mm-hmm. Because you had bigger deals you could do, you could yeah. really get into it a little more. You know, it's interesting. It's a great perspective, uh, and I'm sitting here kind of remembering. But that was the at, I was at the smaller publishing company, which was an amazing time. I wouldn't trade it for anything. Um, especially from a, I'm, I'm a big believer, and I don't I don't care about age. I think in the music business, it's great to be thrown into the fire. Yeah, it's sink or swim. Figure it out, um, and you really can see how people respond when that's their circumstance yeah um but that and that was my circumstance at a small company for a number of years and then that's but that's one of the reasons why i chose to leave to go to a bigger company because i knew that there was a lot of things that i just couldn't learn you know in the position that i was in even though it was going really well and the bigger company would You'd give me a lot of knowledge, and, and working with Gary, you know, he was always an extremely open boss in terms of like he, uh, you know, I learned so much from him. Yeah, well, well, Gary wanted to win, so Gary gave you tools to say, "Hey, man, what do you need to do? What do we need to do to win? Go do it." And that's got to be a great boss for a guy with an open slate yep. of how you can make your own rules. And that was the transition. So you walk in there, you're running the creative department. So now, who are you signing? Who are you looking at? What deals are you are you most proud of of moving into emi man that's a good question i mean we we were we were really blessed really blessed yeah. to work with a lot of writers and artists that were very successful but and I, it's you know it's always hard to to name these lists because i'm i know i'm gonna leave somebody out but yeah. just to pick a couple of folks you know chris young was getting going at that moment um you know paisley was 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 working uh with emi alan jackson was working with emi um 
we had, you know, kind of later on Thomas Rhett, you know, yep. we, we sort of worked with, with TR, um, when he was really a college student. Um, and then some of the writer names, uh, I think some people that may have actually been, be part of this show, like the Warren brothers, yep. uh, Dallas Davidson, mm-hmm. uh, Red Akins. Yeah. Um, I mean, Tom Shapiro, you know, one of, one of the coolest things I've gotten to be a part of with a guy like Tom Shapiro. So just so this audience knows, Tom, I don't know. I think he had you know fifty, sixty hits in his career. He was yeah. noted as writer of the decade um, in the uh, in the nineties, and we were working together at EMI when he was in his basically in his sixties. And he had in one of the years he had the most activity he'd ever had. Uh, as a writer, and he was in his sixties. Yeah, that's awesome. You know, and that's really a unique piece of Nashville, right yeah. there, yeah. right where you can have a writing career that can last twenty plus years and be successful. Um, to take it home, I know two writers you worked with at Warner Chapel, uh, Wendell Mobley and Marv Green. Yeah, still part of Warner Chapel. You know, twenty five plus years later. Yeah, um, it's a great part of our industry. Yeah, yeah. So you're there, you're doing that. Y'all were winning Publisher of the Year all the time. We're, you know, y- y'all were really in a good zone and you mm-hmm. were, you were, you know, popping that out. You know, who, who were the biggest artists y'all got to work with kind of coming through the building? Because I know sometimes artists come and go, you know, mm-hmm. but were there, you know, who were the new kind of artists coming up other than Thomas Rhett? You know, were there other guys kind of coming up with that now today have careers other than him and Chris Young? I'm trying to think. And, you know, there's, I wasn't, some of the ones that are out today were kind of towards the end of the EMI period yeah. because that company ended up selling. Yeah, to Sony. Right. But some of the kind of in the maybe the beginning and middle were like an Alan Jackson. Okay. Like a Daryl Worley. Yeah, yeah. You yeah. know, that that was kind of um, some of the bigger artist writers. So EMI sold and um, Warner Chapel came knocking. They came to talk to you about running their creative department and doing the head. Now, this is when the full circle of your life comes about, where you're like, <laughs> yeah. where you're like, oh my God, I'm I'm fixing to go run the company I started at, right. in a sense. Yeah, you know. So, how how did that process happen? Because Gary was leaving EMI, yeah, and you you weren't choosing to go to Sony. So, yeah, well, choosing- he had actually he Gary had left EMI, um, and I was at that moment I was 34. Yeah, and. I wanted, you know, one of my goals had been to run a major publisher, um, but I wasn't sure if they would let me do that <laughs> at that age, mm-hmm. and they did, and so I got to run EMI for almost three years. Yeah, right. And then, then the, were you the youngest executive? Yeah, there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and then um, when the merger happened, then the opportunity at Warner Chapel came, um, and that's kind of how that process started. Yeah. But now you got into Warner Chapel. Right. And then, oh, full circle. Yeah. And that was one of the, that was actually one of the coolest parts was like, I was like, I really would like to do this. And this is where I started. Um, And then a few of the, the, the valued employees that we currently have at Warner Chapel, they were there when I was an intern. Yeah, I know. (laughs) Right. Good friends of yours, I know as well. (laughs) And it's great. I mean, it's just, you know, our quote, one thing that I think is so important in companies is culture like that is that's probably the number one and so we're really proud that we have a good culture with people yeah. that have worked there you know 20 plus years and i don't know we have a good we have a great vibe around the office and i think that's a testament of how vital it is to have good relationships in town 
from day one and to keep those relationships in good standing, mm-hmm. even if there's a falling out, even if, you know, right. y- you just never know where you're going to end up, mm-hmm. who's going to be running the next place that you end up at. Yeah. And I mean, like you said, with, with Gary O, because you guys had had such a great relationship from day one, yeah. it just kind mm-hmm. of, it followed you. Yeah, Nashville's, I mean, community's the word. Mm-hmm. We, it is truly a community. Um, my favorite part is, is, is that, is that we... You know, we do have companies that we work for and um, talent and writers and artists that we represent. But truly, we're all working for the working for Nashville, yeah. working for Music Row, working for the country music industry. And we're yeah. just doing it through certain platforms. Well, let's look at this now. You you mentioned a bunch of names at the beginning of the show, a bunch of guys you went to college with yeah. and, and stuff. So you still see a few of them on a daily basis. Oh, you still do business with the few yeah. of them on a daily basis. Yeah. So who are those? I mean, who are the guys that are kind of your crew that you still see? You know, after all these years, that's what you want people to to understand is mm-hmm. it is a crew, it is a family, yeah. and and that's your and that's how you succeed is you, is you got to have something to believe in and someone to trust. Yeah, I think I think when you say that, like my my number one will be Rusty Gaston. Yeah. Who I know you are close with as well, and Rusty's. Um, he's a, a wonderful entrepreneur. Um, he owns uh, a partner company we work with, This Music. Um, and uh, yeah, but we started knowing each other in college. And yeah. that's that's when you said that. That's what pops in my head. But now y'all were like like yeah. you started out as this intern. You know, now you're on the CMA board, head of the ACM boards. You know, board of directors, whatever. And then you're on all these committees now. Now you're part of the system. Now mm-hmm. you're part of the family. You know, that's got to kill you man to look at that and go wow man you got to be i'm proud of you you got to be proud of working your way into being that fabric of what country music is right now and and you are so young i know you said the age thing it kind of doesn't matter but i mean you are young considering everything you've accomplished i mean you've done it pretty quickly (laughs) yeah it's been it's been it's been 25 years since i started on the row so yeah, it, but it doesn't. It's gone by so fast. Mm-hmm. Like it doesn't even feel anywhere close to that. So how how does that resonate with you? Because now I'm sitting at the CMA boards, ACM boards, and I'm looking at it as a creative. Um, I always look at it a little differently. You know, I'm kind of a producer, a record producer. So you're creating content. You know, you're developing content. Mm-hmm. You know, you're heading up the content. So you got to look around and go, God, man, I never thought I'd be here. You can't say in college you were going. Oh, of course, I'm going to be here. Right? Yeah. I don't know. It is an honor. It's a bl- it's an honor and a blessing to be a part of the story. Yeah. You know, to be a part of the story of, of Nashville and Music Row and. Um, just try to do i mean i don't know i think if you're talking about boards and those kind of moments like that's where i think is what we should all do in terms of keeping what's best for the format as the number one guiding principle yeah yeah right and so try that's what i try to do i try to do that well speaking of boards um, you know, um, I don't know who I have to kiss butt to, <laughs> but um, I've been nominated like six times for producer oh, of the year. Mercy. Uh, is it how can I how can I win one of these? <laughs> he is. We have been calling him. He is the Susan Lucci. I am the Susan uh, Lucci of the ACM Man. Producer of the Year Award. 
Oh man, I don't how, know. I, how I do, do I win that award? I do not. I'm not a producer, so <laughs> I do not know how to answer that I question. I mean, you know, I don't drink really. You know, uh-huh. I don't go out and party a lot, so I, I don't know how to win that award. I, well, I that's a, apparently you need to do those things. Yeah, apparently I do, but no. but I don't know. I, I don't know if I'd be a good partier. I, I, Probably you know, not. I don't know. I, don't know. I, I think you're doing great. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I want to change the thing, <laughs> man. Like, it's okay. You're doing good. Now, did you come from a musical family? Did you always know you wanted to do this? When did that Ooh, start? That's a good question. Um, okay, I actually remember the moment when I figured out kind of what I want to do in life. Um, I was driving home uh, one night pretty late from the radio station mm-hmm. um, that I was working at on the weekends. And what type of radio station? Country. Country, okay. Country music. Maybe they could hopefully carry, you know, Knox Country 360. There you go. Hello. <laughs> right. um, but I was driving home really late one night in I was 18 and thinking about college and what I wanted to do. And my parents had really raised me to be like, find out what you love to do and then figure out how to make money around it, you know? And I really just loved listening to music. I was a fan. Mm -hmm. Okay. So to answer your question on the the family, no, we were not a musical family per se. Um, But I I was an appreciator of music. I was the kid that had the biggest CD collection of anybody in the county, you could find me uh, often at the local Walmart mm-hmm. in the music section. Yeah. Um, so I just, how do I have a career around loving music was the thought at that moment. But those are the most important people to have running the show are people that actually love what we do. Love it. And and we have a half and half in this town sometimes. You know, we got some people in between. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But you I can tell. By the, the way, guys, and I don't understand that. Yeah, I, I don't either. But, I don't understand that. But yeah. you can tell the guys that love what they do, yeah. and yeah. just the the passion of the company, the atmosphere, like you said, of the company. Mm-hmm. But I think from a background perspective, from a family perspective, my family um, uh, is very blue collar, um, mm-hmm. mechanics and coal miners from Western Kentucky. Uh, but I, lo- I love that because, like, the work ethic, I mean, we everybody in my family, just they work. And no matter what it is, they, they, they get it done. And, and I think for me, like, I'm just lucky that what I get to do and I show up and work every day, all day, all the time around something that I love, and that's music. It is a blessing. Yeah. It is a blessing. Absolutely. Oh, man, there's a lot. Imagine what we would be working at if we didn't get to do this. Wouldn't be sitting here doing this right now. I'll tell you that. <laughs> Knox Country Podcast Edition. Some of you know me as a record producer for acts like Jason Aldean and Thomas Rhett. Others know me as the son of rock and roll legend Buddy Knox, party doll fame back in 1957. I'm Michael Knox. Welcome to my world. You're listening to Knox Country Podcast. Hey, this is Keith Urban. What's up, y'all? It's your boys here, Florida Georgia Line. Hey, this is Little Big Town. And you're listening to Knox Country. You've entered Knox Country. Welcome back to the Knox Country Podcast. All right, so now you're at Warner Chapel. They just made you CEO and president. Is there a title higher than that? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> for your I'm Nashville, find out. For the Nashville <laughs> office, is there know. a title higher than that? But so. Know. You know, what are things exciting you now that y'all are working on? What are things that kind of keep fueling that fire for you and everything? Yeah, I think, um, man, I think every, it's, it's interesting. I get this question a lot, um, and I don't know if I have, like, the like the perfect set answer yet, but I can kind of stumble through it if that's okay. Yeah. Um, I think I get to touch and do be a part of so many different things, 
and I can go from in one hour maybe something that's not great, like a tough circumstance of tough business circumstance or a defeat. The next hour we have an amazing thing that just happened, and so every day is kind of full of full of um, ups and downs. Um, but things that are that are really exciting is is always the writer development process and the artist writer development process and watching people that kind of get that first success for the first time yeah love that and just really love the especially the artist writers because we, we do a lot of that development and that's honestly i think part of the reason that i'm i'm gonna turn it back to Knox again he's like that i can tell but <laughs> but part of the reason um i think i'm wired that way is because early days in watching michael you know watching him be so heavy into development with artist writers and i'm thinking of names like jd myers i loved jd myers yeah, oh yeah. my goodness and danny yeah. lee yeah. and you know and then up through jason um that really helped shape how i thought about this kind of stuff as well of like and i've always felt like you 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 would look for people that could really be stars yeah well and i also found you seem to sell something you love better than something you don't love of course so i always made sure that that i loved it it didn't matter how much you loved it right as long as i friggin loved it then i felt like i could sell it so you so a quick uh story a a sad story on 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 jd myers and you i may not have ever, ever told you this i'm not sure so we'll see in a minute um so i was interning at warner chapel and JD, uh, he was working on JD. I just loved the music. I would, I would make myself cassettes and listen to them all the time in my spare time. Love was like a train. Yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah. And um, I go crazy when I think about you. Yep, there you go. And so, and I, by the way, I still have those cassettes. That's awesome. Um, I can't, do you have anything to play them on? <laughs> yes. He probably does. <laughs> yeah, I do. He probably does. I can't get rid of them. But um, anyway, you may not know this part. So JD, I don't remember his name, but he had a manager. And... Um, and I went and met with the manager, and, uh, trying really hard to uh, get a job there. Yeah. Because I just thought that JD was going to blow up and be the next whatever, and uh, and they turned me down cold. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't remember that. Yeah. So in retrospect, I'm like, I'm really glad that didn't really work Happen, out. Yes. Mm-hmm. yes. But um, but yeah. Anyway, but the artist development process is 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 i think is just fantastic y'all do have that in common i mean i can i can see it you know i'm not saying it, it just came from michael but that's probably why y'all have connected and meshed so well back then and still today because y'all both have that love yeah of- well, well the thing that i look up to ben about is i'm all over the place i'm a, i'm a true creative guy you know and and i look for guys that are good at putting teams together you look for guys that are good politicians because I'm not one, you know, and you look for these guys to help you kind of connect the dots to get to that next goal you're trying to get to. Because it is important for a creative guy to accomplish goals, and you got to have the people to help you accomplish those goals. Mm-hmm. And Ben definitely does that for his yeah. team big time. Mm-hmm. And that's what I've always admired about your process and how you work and everything you put together over there. Well, thanks. But that I think you hit a really important thing that I don't know if everybody gets in the business, but it's that team aspect of – and again, we're talking about artists. Yeah. And man, if you have a weak spot on any of the teams, it's tough. It really is to to get over that. So yeah. that's why the, the the publisher, the the producer, the agent, the label, the management, um, the business management, the attorney. Um, I hope I'm not leaving someone out. The PRO, like everybody, everybody fills a role, and 
you need all of those mm-hmm. all of those um, folks in a, to be to know what they're doing and and because it's hard it is hard to break an artist and have success so. all right let's break into some personal questions in uh-oh <laughs> back in the day looking for music we'd go to tower records we'd walk around yeah and just you know read stuff sometimes they had players sometimes they didn't whatever today you go online and, and Spotify is your tower records in a sense you know do you do you wish it was the old way where you made more of an effort to find something or do you like it being this easy hmm ooh that's a tricky question can I say I like both because there's a difference between like yeah uh, a Spotify and Apple and Amazon whatever your digital service provider of choice is <laughs> um Pandora I'm going to leave somebody out. Um, XM. Politically correct. Watch out, baby. Thank you. Mm -hmm. But I mean, in Tower, but you know, I loved, loved rolling around Tower Records and, you know, physically uh, scanning through the the CD racks and the the vinyl and whatever. So I definitely miss that. Yeah. Just actually. What's a good fan experience? Holding and touching Mm -hmm. an item and reading the. You know the titles and the songwriter. Yeah, I, I've I missed that. It makes you wonder yeah. if that's why the festivals are bigger than they've ever been, hmm. or if that's why the CMA Music Fest or things like that are bigger than they've ever been. Because it's almost old school. You're walking around, yeah, like you did, but it's a virtual reality right. walk around, and you what's get the, hit with all what's this the ex- stuff. What's the experience? But I do think when you talk about like the DSPs and streaming and that kind of thing, I think. The experience of the music user in 2019 is still at the very, very, very beginning of what that's going to look like. Yeah, I, th- I'm, I think that will continue to be innovated, right? Yeah, and, well, and what do you that, see? What, where do you see the next thing being? How can it be easier? You mean easier from a standpoint of, of finding it? Yeah, I think that's going to come with. I don't know. I think we'd have to like. Be invited into the secret Spotify and Amazon meetings, yeah. to, right? To to figure out what the plans are there, but but I think the user experience is is a, is, is good across the board, but yeah. it, it will get to great, and it will get to to be more where you're you are having more experiences within yeah. the, within the platforms. That's what I was going to say. Early days, mm-hmm. but I think the next stage is finding out how to make it more visible instead of just an MP3. How do we make it more visible? When you yep. find something, how does it blow off the screen to you? And mm-hmm. you go, oh, my God, I love this. Because right now it's all based on you liking a song, which sure. is great. But how, how do we get back to the CD cover and the albums of mm-hmm. today? What is that looking right. like tomorrow? How is that experience going sure. to hit? So I, I believe it's got to get more visible somehow. Well, a little bit more personal. I mean, do you remember – I mean, I know – when I was young, I would sit there and I'd take these old cassettes and or I'd reuse old cassettes. You know, you'd put the tissue paper or something to, you know, to cover up the holes so you could record over them. Memorex. Yeah. That's what I had. Yeah. And mm-hmm. and you would sit there yeah, and you were a listen. pirate of music. I was. I actually was. Mm-hmm. Sorry. But I would listen to the radio, you know, the countdown and wait. And, you know, as soon as the DJ came on, you'd hit record, you know, to catch that song. And it's like, oh, you didn't catch it. So you'd stop and you'd go back and you hit. But it was such an effort but mm-hmm. it was so rewarding. Yeah. You know, it's because like, I, I, we couldn't afford to just go and buy, sure. you know, all these songs and that. So it's like, to me, it was, and then I remember sitting there and, and I'd listen to songs over and over and write out the lyrics, you know, until I, I memorized the song. Mm-hmm. Didn't realize that w- that's what I'd be doing for a living. Yeah. I mean, it's right. kind of 
you know, wigging well, me out. Well, the lyrics today are so easy to remember. Yeah. Because there's like <laughs> 10 words a song. But right I mean, now. it was like, it was an right. effort, you yeah. know, and, and, but it made me such a fan of the music mm. that I was loving. Yeah. And I think one thing that, and I'm just from watching my, my, my children, mm-hmm. right? And, and how they're listening to music and stuff. They're obviously not having to put forth that much effort of what you what you just described, but I think the the real positive is they just listen to so much more music. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean it's constantly yeah. it's constantly going. Yeah, with you know? with that ease, you get that ability to be exposed right to so much more. Do you right. find out that they get burned on songs quicker, or is it or is, or do they just keep them around? They're just finding no, new stuff. I don't think they do. I don't think they get burned. I think they. If they love it, it's it's obviously going on their playlist, yeah. and it's constant there. Um, no, I don't. I actually don't. I don't think they get burned. That's good. Yeah. Yeah, that's my whole thing is that just making it more of an experience when you find it somehow. Sure. The video world, I feel, has gone away, but it feels like it's coming back because of the YouTube experiences mm-hmm. and because of these ways. So do you think they're going to be... You think video is going to ever be like the MTV again? In a sense, it seems like it's going to help sell product again, but mm-hmm. it might just be done cheaper and in a different way. Yeah, I think videos, and I don't, I don't know the stats on this, but like my gut says, and from what I kind of see, is like it's going to continue on a growth growth pattern, right? Yeah. But I think it's like I don't know if MTV is the right analogy because that was one thing, one channel, and yeah. I was. I loved MTV. I want my MTV, right? Yeah. But um, I think it's it's ubiquitous. It's everywhere, right? So, you know, I just think it's like video is going to be, is and will continue to be just like breathing. I mean, it's a massive, important part of an artist and and constant video content. Yeah. And and touring now has gone to a different place, a Mm -hmm. a different level. You know, like they're going back to package shows. They're Mm -hmm. going back to four acts on a on a tour or something like that now where for a while there it was two acts you know and maybe an opening act you know now it's Mm -hmm. getting to be a a bigger Mm -hmm. environment so you know i'm hoping that down the road it does become an experience again Mm -hmm. to find talent i think you're right hey guys it's shalacy check us out on the web at knoxcountry360.com or on facebook instagram and twitter at knoxcountry360I'm just curious, so if you had to pick the five biggest songs you've been a part of. Oh, man. In in any aspect. Yeah. Whether it was when you were in your DJ days, your, you know, early Warner Chapel days, your EMI days, right. to today. Man, that's tough. If you could, yeah, five songs <sighs> that you could say, you know, they made an impact. It didn't, they didn't even have to be the biggest songs. Just right. they made an impact on you. Man, I, I guess that's such a that's a really hard question because Good. one thing <laughs> I I want to do and I haven't done yet because I don't know when I'll have the time is I want to do a playlist of every every song I've had something to do with in twenty five. You got to do it one at a time. I've already started my playlist right? of like my memories, my nineties memories, right? And it's just one at a time. Yeah, but so it's it's kind of like on my personal gold sheet, mm-hmm. right? But I just haven't done it yet. But I think I'm, I'm I think for me a couple of specific things that stand out. I remember you know certain songs where I was when I heard them, mm-hmm. right? In certain moments. So like, um, I remember when I first heard the work tape of "Need You Now," right? Which was a 
huge global hit for Lady Annabellum. And yeah. We worked with Hillary Scott, you know, and um, I remember uh, this was not a it was this was a hit. It wasn't a huge hit, but it was an amazing piece of art. A song called "Forgive." Uh, that Rebecca Lynn Howard. I love that song. Okay, there you go. Boom. Love that song. And if you know that song, that's the reaction it elicits. Mm-hmm. You know, and I remember where I was in Leaper's Fork driving on the road when I first heard the work tape. I'm a big work tape guy. I yeah. love that that kind of thing. You what, know, what a vocalist. And didn't Trey know? Trey Bruce produce that? He did. That, yeah, that's right. He did. And we had an interesting issue there where uh, Faith Hill was going to record that song. Yeah. and you probably remember that. Yeah, and and that was. Uh, that was like her song for this for her project and it was like the cornerstone of the record and she had it on hold for hold meaning she had said she wanted to record it for man i'd say almost a year like it was a legit thing and rebecca was an artist um who had finished her record after that song was the song was written after her record was um complete and then they looked back and said no no we should go record this and we had to go talk to faith about it and Faith couldn't have been more gracious and wonderful, uh, so much to the point that when Rebecca had a had it out, I think it went top five, top ten, top yeah. five. It was her song. That, it was, it was yeah, her biggest song. It was her song, and, um, and Faith sent her flowers at the, awesome. uh, in the dressing nice. room. Mm-hmm. Um, to bring it home, just to kind of answer your question, um, uh, this was a hit for Keith Urban last year, a song called Female. Mm-hmm. Um, that one was really fun because that was I remember when that was Nicole Gallion who we work with who's amazing love her yeah she's the best um, she had sent it to me and I listened to it and and we gave it to Keith and uh, Dan McCarroll and literally it was on the radio in 21 days after it was pitched <laughs> and I've never seen that's that that's awesome I've never seen that happen before you know um, I don't know those little moments to me like when you hear I don't know that's always what stands out. Mm-hmm. Anything you got coming up, man? That you that you want to kind of talk about? Anything big coming up? Any? Um, there's a, a new Jason Aldean record <laughs> coming out. I don't know when, but later this year. I think it might be 2020 during the election. Okay. I don't know. All right. So that's always exciting. <laughs> yeah, big year. <laughs> I mean, you know, there's there's. there's um, what about your kids? Are they showing any signs yeah. of music stuff? Oh, that's interesting. Um, well. My daughter is 16. Her name's Ruby. She's amazing. And my boys, uh, Griffin is 13 and Zeke is 9. Um, they all love music. And they all listen to music all the time. Um, Ruby, the oldest, uh, definitely weighs in on her opinion on songs Yeah. from time to time. And I think she's got great ears. Uh, and as Griffin has as well. But yeah, I, I used to think there was no way I'd want my, my kids to be in the music business. Um, because it's a hard business like it's it's a tough business um but i don't know now now it's like it's an interesting are they more on on that side like not wanting to maybe be songwriters or musicians but more of sort of following your league league of in the development and discovery ruby ruby definitely writes songs um and we and we just encourage everything. That they, Have that you they, signed her yet? Because if not, Knox can sign her at Pier. No. <laughs> not yet. Be, she would be. She would be. Lu- she would be lucky to get to work with Knox. I'll, oh. like, I'll sign people. your kids so I can get information on what you're doing. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! But there's all kinds of great things coming out. I mean, you know, um, some of the stuff we've been really fortunate to to be a part of and, and work with. Um, it's done really well recently in the Grammys. You know. Um, we work with uh, Casey Musgraves and, and Dana Shea yeah. and Chris Stapleton and um, 
Dave Cobb, Brothers Osborne. I mean, like, and, and the, a lot of those folks have had good experiences at the CMA Awards, you know, in the fall. Yeah, how long has Stapleton been over there with you guys? So, let's see, that'd be about maybe five, five, six years. Yeah, because, man, every, everybody in town was a fan of him. Yeah. And it, and it wasn't happening as an artist. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, the Justin Timberlake, yeah. Stapleton thing that he did on yeah. the awards blew him out yeah, of we the water. Yeah, we started working together um, before all that. Oh, I know? know. And it was interesting because, I'll just go ahead and say, like, like Chris is my favorite. I know you're never supposed to call call favorites in this business. He's such a nice guy. Though. But, like, that goes back to my EMI days. We had a, a partnership with um, a company that Chris was writing at. And I just remember just listening to his demos and work tapes and just just like yeah. someone else would the radio, right? Mm-hmm. So um, when the opportunity came to find a way to work together, I just jumped at it. And, and it's kind of like, we'll figure it out. Like, because he's, I guess one of the rules that I have for myself in working in music publishing and trying to think about deals and working with people, um, you just bet on talent and we'll figure it out. Like, We'll figure the rest out. Dude, the first time I met him, we were cutting an, you know, an album, and we cut one of his songs on it. And this is before the the big CMA thing. He had, His single was out. It wasn't, it wasn't rocking and rolling. He was out with Miranda doing an acoustic thing. And he was just in there. We were cutting one of his songs. So I called him in to sing Backgrounds. Mm-hmm. And I told Jason to come down and meet him. So Jason drove down to say hey to him while he was singing. So he went in there and sang, did his part, and it was amazing as usual. And this was before it all happened. He was such a humble guy, mm-hmm. you know. And I'm a huge fan. I mean, he, he, right. sang, he sang so amazing. It was crazy yeah. anyway, you know, and it was too fast and mm-hmm. um, for Jason. And then all this stuff happened at the next CMAs. Like, it was just right around the corner. Right. Uh, I believe the CMAs, and um, and he was still the same cat years later when I saw him. Yeah. You know, I'll text him once in a while and just say, "Dude, congrats, this is great," and he'll text me right back. I mean, very very down to earth guy. Everybody's his fan. You great, know, great guy, great family. You know, Morgan, Morgan got to work with her for a long mm-hmm. time, which was really special time. So yeah, great family. So Casey Musgrave stuff was that from Inception with you guys? Yeah, well, so Casey was signed to. To Chapel when I got there, but she hadn't had a record out yet, had she? She had the record was just coming out. Okay, um, and she's—I mean, she's amazing. What a real, a real true artist, you know. And she's got such a great team around her, um, and she's such a great example, though, of again talent finding a way. Yeah, you know. What's definitely different, as much as it isn't, tradi- it's traditionally right down the mark, but it's so different for right. what everybody else is doing today. Right. You know, now the guys that I love too are the Dan and Shay guys. Oh, yeah. You know, uh, Dan hangs out in our office a lot, writing with some of our guys. Sure. And, um, man, just, you know, the first single you heard out, you were like, ah, oh, they're like Rascal Flats. You know, and then you hear that Degum Tequila song, and you're like, man, there's something else going on here. Yeah. The, th- the thing about those guys, um, and it's been cool to work, have worked with them, you know, from the beginning and kind of watch that go down is like, their work ethic's fantastic. Yeah. Um, you know, Shay Mooney's, you know, arguably one of the best vocalists we've ever had in the country format. Um, and then Dan is just, I don't, I don't think it's possible to outwork that guy. Yeah. I mean, really. Well, he co-produces the project too, right? Yeah. He is just, he is just firing all cylinders, yeah. you know, so. He sends me songs too all the time, just yeah. so you know, he'll, he'll sure. pitch me songs a lot. 
it's amazing. But dude, the the tequila, you know, now oh. that's a good story with you guys too because yeah. that's well, your writers. And this is, I guess, I can talk about this. But they uh, tequila, they're uh, long. I mean, so I know this is a country country program, but you know, tequila is also now in the top twenty on the pop charts and the top four and the top forty charts. Yeah, and then uh, internationally. It's going to be released in basically every territory. So as this well. might be a full circle to Amazed for you. It could be. Remember how Amazed yeah. kind of started yeah. doing that? It Boy, was the first let's, let's pop hope. crossover mix. <laughs> let's hope so. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, but it's true. I hear tequila be because I listen to everything. Yeah, you know, um, a lot just because I enjoy it, and two, I just kind of want to, you know, kind of listen to what's going on around me and not just mm-hmm. you know in my world. And I hear that I'm like, and I almost like, am I still on? the highway or am i still right. on you know and it's like no you know it hits one you know and it's like i hear it all the time yeah, yeah. but tequila is a big big song and uh nicole was on our show too man and, and mm-hmm. hearing her story about that was amazing so great yeah and then the uh other writer jordan reynolds yeah is a great example of uh someone that's really come into his own over the last you know few years and just a tremendous songwriter in, in person, you know. So my last question for you, Warner Chapel Christmas parties, <laughs> are you still doing poker night? Are you still doing casino night? Huh? That's funny. Well, I will. Uh, I guess I can tell the story. So, yeah, we have an awesome team at Warner Chapel, and we also have a um, Christmas party committee. And Nina, Nina runs that, actually. Yes, Nina. And yes, Nina, it, Nina Wright, our favorite. Amazing. Nina is amazing. Um, but, yeah, Pretty much every year, I bring up uh, casino night um, as an option, and uh, <laughs> because I mean, part of it's because I remember the casino night you did back in the day, yes. which was amazing. Yeah, I, I rented out a whole country club and didn't know I was renting the whole country club. <laughs> I thought I was really? just renting the the, 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 the place, <laughs> yeah. you know, the the little clubhouse, and it ended up being the whole country club. So Whipperman gave me some money to buy some, and um, I added a zero to it to buy the gifts did. that people win. And Buddy, he oh. walked in and he's like going, wow, how did all that? And I said, oh, did you, I thought you gave me 5000 not 500 And I, I spent five grand on all these gifts for everybody to have us, jackets, Bugs Bunny jackets, everything. Yeah. That's great. Yeah, that's, uh, I, I share in your enthusiasm for being able to market and also have, have a, I mean, look, you know, it's a fun business to be in, but like, it's also hard. It's hard work. And, you know, we, you, you get you get a lot more defeats than you get victories. Mm-hmm. You just do. And so let's, when we can have a good time and we can, you know, show people that we appreciate them and stuff, well, let's do that. So, Dude, this is awesome. Ben Vaughn, I love you being here, dude. I really appreciate you giving me your time, man. I've known you a long time. I'm very proud of you. I'm proud of how you've maneuvered your career to where it's at as being the dude on Music Row. So I do appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Thank you, Ben. Knox Country. Thanks for joining us on this episode of the Knox Country Podcast. Special thanks go out to co-host Mr. Lacey Griffin and producer Donnie Walker. See you next time. You've entered Knox Country Outtakes. Is she Lacey in this too? Or is yeah. she, she going to pipe she's in? She's co-host. Okay, she's co-host. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, so we can team up on you. No, we're going to team up on you. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, but yeah, she's usually in y'all's corner, that's for sure. Perfect. <clears throat> um, no hitting the desk. We had Jeff Stevens in here earlier mm. today, and he, he hit the thing. Yep. He did this the whole time. <laughs> Every time he made a point. Should I, should I use my radio voice? or Whatever. 
Was that not your radio vote? Well, no, that was really. his power oh, voice. His yeah. CEO president that was my, voice. I'm the CEO. <laughs> well, I used to do, uh, let's see. This is WMSK 95.3, Morganfield, Kentucky, AM and FM. <laughs> Liners oh. and Knox Country 360. You made me cry. <laughs> I know. You can't forget the 360. No. Well, you can. Right. I, it's, it's starting to get rebranded to just Knox Country. but Right. The 360 just means interview. What if I want a 180 deal? Yeah. <laughs> Then you get half the story. <laughs> yeah. We should use that. <laughs> Knox Country. Podcast edition.